Hi, and thank you for listening to Dream 10X Radio, where we interview people attempting to live extraordinary lives. Our twofold purpose is to both direct and inspire people bold enough to do the same. Dream 10X. Face your fears. Dream 10X, this is your boy JC, this is episode... 31. 31, and it's July 9th, 2021. Excellent. I'm here with my girl, <laughs> Dr. Cable, how's it going? Good, 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 good. We're on go. vacay here in Molokai, mm-hmm. and I don't know if you can hear the ocean in the background and the, the music at the restaurant next door, mm-hmm. it's pretty chill, we're relaxed. It's another lanai doing some reading this week and this week we're talking about a book um, called Genius Makers by Cade Metz and uh, this is a, a really interesting book about the kind of the, the history of machine learning and artificial intelligence. It's a good overview of a lot of the key players that have been involved in pushing the envelope forward in the field in this field of computer science. Uh, I guess it's mostly computer science, it could also be psychology and biology and all that good stuff, robotics, but... Um, cybernetics. Cybernetics, yeah. Uh, and, and how the big tech companies have gotten involved and in, in an arms race of sorts in, in the field now and how it all started. And it all centered around uh, Jeff Hinton, who was a researcher in the area in, in this field of research. and. I find him a really fascinating character for many different reasons. First of all, he's got back issues, so he never sits down, which that alone just makes him a really colorful character. So yeah. wherever he goes, he does not sit down. He can't huh. He can't go anywhere yeah. if he has to sit down. Wow. And if he has to sit down, he doesn't go. Dang, that's crazy. <laughs> and uh, so a lot of times he had to travel to different places, and, and um, well, we'll talk about how he got involved with Google, but um, at one point Google... Uh, had a plane, uh, had a, their own plane um, and their own mechanism for loading him in the back of the plane on his back, laying down Whoa. into the plane so they could take him to a certain certain wow. place. And um, anyway, just really, uh, another really interesting thing about him is that his, gr- I think, grandfather, great-grandfather, who, who was a mathematician, physicist, scientist type who coined the term Tesseract. Oh, no kidding. Oh, that's yeah. freaking cool. And that was my favorite, like this this concept about the fourth dimension. Yeah. That was like one of my favorite things uh, about A Wrinkle in Time yeah. by Madeline Lingle, that, that book. And so that's really interesting to know that that concept came from his grandfather. And so now he's, and so now Jeff Hinton is like the kind of the, the new, uh, I, I don't know. I, I'm still learning about this space, and, and, and that's why I wanted to read this book as a software engineer to get more information about what's really going on in this whole space because I think a lot of the information about machine learning uh, or a lot of the research about machine learning and artificial intelligence is siloed in these big tech companies, mm-hmm. and I, I don't think the world really knows what's going on. What, and it's hard to discern what's hype and what's reality. And so reading books like this for me helps to kind of get to the reality of the situation. Artificial, the concept of artificial intelligence and using computers to create a human-like brain, has, the, the idea has been around forever, right? It's been in science fiction. It's been in our culture for a very long time. Um, and 
in, I guess in the 50s, we started making inroads in that area. The Navy was doing some research in there, and they had this thing called the Perceptron that could could uh, figure out, could, could read cards and figure out where objects were on these cards, mm. but it was a really flawed technology and it wasn't that great. And, and that was when the first neural networks started coming about. And neural networks are behind... Um, everything machine learning and what we're calling artificial intelligence nowadays and um, uh, one of the per, one of the researchers who came out against um, that type of work uh, specifically the perceptron and stuff was a, a professor from MIT called Marvin Minsky and um, so things kind of kind of chilled out in, in the area we didn't really have the computing power that we needed to move things forward at the time and so uh, there was kind of a, a what do they call it a, a cold period or a, 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 there was a period in time where you know between like the 50s and the 80s where there wasn't much happening in, in the in the field of research for machine learning and um, but then Jeff Hinton came on the scene and started doing some, kind of rejuvenated work in the field of neural networks and uh, came up with something called the Boltzmann machine and uh, this was kind of a new neural I don't know much about it but there, you know just throw out the term Boltzmann machine something I want to learn a more about and and kind of the thinking behind that and how that rejuvenated the whole field of mm. neural networks and machine learning um, so that was one key concept that, that he, he brought to bear, brought to the forefront of people's minds then. And uh, another concept was uh, backpropagation, which was, uh, you know, another technical term. Um, in my mind, in my understanding so far, it's uh, when you push data through uh, the, the first pass through a neural network, um, you learn certain things about the data that you're processing in that neural network. But backpropagation is you, you send it backward through the neural network, and you can, and the neural network can, the model can learn more about that data as you go back. So that concept of backpropagation is another key thing that helped push neural networks uh, forward and made them better at doing certain things like uh, recognizing cats. That's called supervised learning, and that's there's three different types of machine learning, and supervised learning is is one of the ones I'm, I'm learning about and it's one of the more basic basic ways of teaching machines to understand data and basically all it is is you have a big data set and then a human goes through the data set and says, so say you want to teach a machine to learn what a cat looks like so you have a, a ton of data uh, Im data being images of cats mm -hmm. and dogs and other animals and you go through and you label the data this is a cat this is a dog this is a frog this is a whatever and you feed those images through your neural network and it trains a model um, uh, and the model it, it's, it's basically just a statistical a statistical algorithm um, that learns from your data mm. so as a computer programmer, I, I write code to teach a program, uh, teach a computer how to do something. Um, so machine learning is a different paradigm. It's you, you're teaching a computer how to learn something by feeding it a bunch of data, and you're labeling that data um, appropriately so it it can figure out you know whether or not to mark something as. So you want to ask a you're asking a question of that data. Is it a cat or not? So it's very boolean. It's yes or no, and you label the data accordingly. So it, 
it eventually learns that, oh, this looks like a cat. Mm. So yes, it's a cat. This does not look like a cat based on what I'm learning. So I'm saying it's not a cat. And so basically you're teaching a machine to learn something rather than programming it. Yeah. So it's, it, the, the, con the paradigm is you're creating a much more flexible thing. So that you, uh, a, a more flexible piece of software because the computer can uh, learn things as it's going and can get smarter as it's going and get better at what it's as it as it um does things as it looks at data as opposed to a more static program that only does what you tell it to do mm. so i think that's one of the benefits of this whole paradigm um but anyway that's uh this book um uh by Cade Metz, genius makers is is a much broader look at the players involved and kind of the history of how things have gone and it starts off with Jeff Hinton the researcher uh, and two of his students um, wanting to basically get work in the industry you know leave in, uh, academia and take their work and, and apply it to industry and so you know you could either go apply for a job and I, this is one of the genius things of this book that I took away. You could either go apply for a job as individuals mm -hmm. and get paid, you know, a salary. Yeah. Or you can form a shell company. So he took two of his students and he kind of formed a shell company. And all they had was the research body of knowledge that they had in their heads. And they called it uh, DNN research for uh, deep neural network research. And... Um, they had no software product. They had no patents. They had nothing. All they had was the name and, wow. and themselves. Yeah. And just because they formed a company and they had three people involved, all of a sudden their value went through the roof. That's why. And I thought this was just genius. So instead of applying to companies individually or together and making salaries, they formed a company and then they tried to sell themselves to a company. Just, just brain trust. It's brain, brain trust. trust. They're yeah. a brain trust. They're selling themselves as a brain trust. And this goes back to what we talked about a long time ago about selling uh, or pitching teams. teams of employees to mm -hmm. companies instead of individuals. Because I think the teams together have a much greater value than the individuals. Yeah. But anyway, so this is what he effectively did. DNN research went and um, they bid themselves. They, they decided with their lawyer that they should uh, um, uh, sell themselves to the higher, highest bidder, basically. And so you had the big companies like uh, Google and Baidu from China and Microsoft and I think there was somebody else. There's some other, some other companies. And they decided to do the bidding over Gmail. So a company would send in a bid uh, over G to their Gmail account and they would look at it and they would decide whether or not they wanted to take it or whatever. And another key point here was uh, since Google was one of the comp core, the big companies bidding on them, they were concerned that they oh. could Google could read all the emails yeah. and could see what other people were bidding. Yeah. And I thought that was really. How, does anybody else think or care that Google can read your email? <laughs> yes, of course they can read your email. Yeah. Whatever you send on Gmail, they can read, and that's that's why they're so powerful. They can they know what everybody is thinking. They're like Santa Claus. They know Claus. what everybody is doing. <laughs> They're like Santa Claus. <laughs> they see you okay. when you're sleeping, they know when you're awake. <laughs> yeah. And, and so that was just one little thing pointed out in the book, and, and then they just kind of glossed over it, yeah. and Hinton was like, well, I, I'm sure they're not going to read our email. It's fine. It's fine. 
But that really stuck out to me, like, holy crap, you know? We need to think more about that. They can totally read all of it, yeah. and I'm sure they are, and I'm sure they've got, you know, big data processing going on, and you know, against all the emails that are, you know, what what's what's the world thinking? What, mm -hmm. what what's the world? What, what what kind of emails are going back and forth between everybody? Yeah. Um. Anyway, that was that's that jumped out at me in this book. But anyway, so of course Google ultimately won the bid. <laughs> Ironically, forty-four million dollars they paid for these three guys who had no software product, no nothing. That's brilliant. Um, so yeah, that was great. Very very cool start to the book. I thought uh, a lot of a lot of really interesting concepts there. Um, and then of course the value they brought to Google was billions of dollars yeah. worth. So I think you know even though they sold for forty-four million, um, the the value that they brought the they brought in the world. Um, far and away exceeded what they what they sold to Google for. Um, so this basically started a whole arms race in artificial intelligence and or machine learning. I won't say artificial intelligence because I, I don't think we're there yet, but definitely machine learning. So uh, when you think about artificial intelligence, what what do you think has what ingredients do you need to like create an artificial intelligence? Mm. That's a good question. I would say some sort of a brain, like yeah. a neural network. Uh, okay. Well, I don't know if a neural network is actually a brain, but you, you need a brain. Like, but what? What are the core ingredients? Do you think? Like, how would a machine be become an artificial intelligence? Okay. So a machine has to see, right? It has to oh, see. Oh, you're being like very basic. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah. You're square one. Yeah. This is like I'm on we're creating too. something <laughs> very like. So the first thing a machine has to, not the very first thing, but one thing a machine has to do, it has to be able to see. It has yeah. to be able to see your body language. It has to be able to interpret visual things, the, the world around it. But um, it has to see what's going on. It has to hear what's going on. It has to be able to interpret what it's hearing. Mm -hmm. uh, not only sounds, but language, what, what's being spoken. Um, and intonation. You know, yeah, all those things. Inference, inference what's... Um, reading between the lines, all those complex things that humans do. Um, so those are the two big ingredients, I think, are seeing and hearing. Um, and so that those are two of the big things that machine learning is working on using neural networks right now. So a lot of image processing work has ex you know, ex exploded onto the scene, recognizing cats. Mm -hmm. images. <laughs> That's one, one big thing, you know, drawing bounding boxes around types of, you know, things that interest you in a video or things like that. Or, um, and, and now language has become another thing, uh, being able to interpret language, uh, which I, I can't even imagine right now how complex that is mm. to, to interpret, uh, to, to understand one language. You speak, you speak to a computer and it can understand, it can break down, it can convert your 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 audio to text mm -hmm. and, and and understand what you're saying, but not only that, but can can translate to other languages too. All that is in the works. It's very complex stuff. There's a software um, when I broke my hand that I use called Dragon Dragon something. Dragon Speak. Yeah, and uh, it was awesome because it learned how I spoke and it would adjust. Mm -hmm. Like after a few times, it'd be like, oh, this is what she means when she talks fast and saying this. Mm -hmm. So it was, it was really cool to watch it learn. Uh-huh. 
Yeah, that's been around for a long time too, I think. Oh, well, um, me. Yeah, I, I've never used it. The book talked about how the CEO of Google uh, demonstrated an Android app that uh, basically a bot that could uh, make reservations, do things on your behalf yeah. asynchronously. That's so cool. you could tell it, hey, will you make a reservation for me at uh, McDonald's tonight yeah. at five or what, you know, some restaurant. And it could call the restaurant and, and interact with the person and using human inflection and all that and make the reservation for you. At McDonald's. Or wherever. <laughs> whatever restaurant. That's probably where I would go. But, you know, other people would go someplace else. But So these core competencies, I guess, for a human brain or machine learning are helping to enable those core competencies, being able to see things, being able to hear things and interpret them, uh, being able to speak and, and interact uh, with humans. Ian Goodfellow is another... Uh, name that I pulled out of here that really intrigued me because he is the guy who came up with the concept of um, generational adversarial uh, neural networks what does that mean? or GANs. Um, basically, uh, he figured out a way to use two neural networks to teach each other how to generate an image that looks lifelike. Oh, that's cool. Completely lifelike. Like a human could, cannot tell the difference. That uh, between a, a real a, a real person and the image that it, it so basically the, these two neural networks would you know one would generate an image and the other neural network would say ah oh, that doesn't look quite right you okay. know and then they would play off of each other to generate an image that looks completely lifelike Dang. and it looks like a human that exists but it doesn't exist yeah that's cool and um, so it's cool technology but it's it's creating this whole new thing like okay, what if these machines are saying that things happened online when they didn't, you know, we talked about this yeah. this week, how we read stuff online that is, is BS when we try to, when we experience it in real life, like the, like this, uh, this beach that we went to, we read online that you shouldn't, you know, under no circumstances should you swim, it's so dangerous, and then we go there and there's a bunch of school kids just swimming, <laughs> little kids, like, like, what were they, five years old, yeah. they were out there, um, Swimming, no problem. We're like, well, shh, just don't believe everything you read online. And, uh, you know, this brings to light that um, the, the, it's getting harder and harder g giving the power of machine learning to, to discern what's real and what's not real uh, uh, if you're just focused on online all the time. Yeah. Uh, so, I don't know. I, I thought that was really interesting that you need to experience the real world, you know, don't, don't trust everything that you're seeing online now. You know, that brought, that, you know, all that fake news stuff that came mm -hmm. out recently and, um, because machine learning is facilitating the creation of so much, uh, in, in, in uh, fake stuff in, in terms of news and text and, uh, imagery, mm -hmm. and even videos. I mean, uh, apparently there, there were some, uh, computer generated videos of Trump speaking Chinese and, and all of that, and it looked totally real, sounded wow. totally real, but it was totally fake, totally generated. A lot of stuff about the ethics of, of uh, machine learning, and, and because the machines only learn according to the data that you feed it. There's the potential now that machines become extremely biased based on the data that you're feeding it, and um, it's just really, there's just so. It, 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 it's a really an interesting time.
another guy that jumped out at me was Andrew Ng, Stanford professor. Uh, I've taken some of his courses on Coursera, and of course he's the founder of Coursera. That's why his name is familiar. Um, okay. The thing I did not know about him is he was kind of a naysayer of neural networks early oh, really? on. And the, the guy that kind of swayed him, this is really interesting, is a guy named Jeff Hawkins, who was the founder, he invented the Palm Pilot. Oh, no way. Jeff Hawkins. You worked on the Palm Pilot. I did for a long time. Yeah, Jeff Hawkins invented the Palm Pilot, and he, but his, his real interest was in developing a, a, a brain, a, mm. a computer brain. And uh, he wrote a book on intelligence, and I'm, I'm interested in, in taking a look at that as well. But uh, when Andrew Ng read his book, that kind of swayed him to uh, become uh, more of a proponent of neural networks wow. and, and kind of a Jeff Hinton uh, proponent as well. And so, so now Andrew Ng teaches a bunch of machine learning classes on Coursera, and uh, I've, I've even taken some of them, very interesting. Um, I, I, I just thought that was really cool to make those kind of those connections about yeah. how, and, and in fact, he, Andrew Ng, uh, was so influenced how, uh, became such a big proponent of machine learning and artificial intelligence that he started pushing, uh, he started pitching, uh, Google on the, on the thing mm. and, um, got them going on that. And, um. Uh, and then there was a whole discussion on uh, deep, um, deep mind. Let's see, is it deep mind or Google Brain? That's what I was kind of confused about. There's Google Brain and there's Deep Mind. Deep Mind was an acquisition from Google by Google. Um, it was a London-based company started by Dennis Hassabis, I think, his brother. Uh, apparently, Google Brain is the uh, half of it's kind of split brain. There's Google Brain, there's Deep Mind, and both within Google. Google Brain uh, kind of generate generates revenue. So I feel like Deep Mind does a lot of the, the research like for R &D. things, yeah, yeah the R and D, and then Google Brain kind of productizes things and makes revenue from that. But Deep Mind is the uh, group that created AlphaGo. There's a cool YouTube video. I'm gonna find it and post it on this this blog. When Google acquired DeepMind, uh, Dennis Hassabis was talking to Sergey Brin, and, and they realized that they had a common interest in Go. In this game, have you ever played Go? I never played Go either. Apparently, it's much more complicated than chess. It's like 3D chess or something like that, and uh, it's very popular in Asia. Um, but anyway, they got to talking and uh, shared an interest, and then uh, Hasabas said, I want to create a mind that can beat anybody at, at Go. Brent thought that was impossible, so he went ahead and used DeepMind to go ahead and, uh, I don't know, you don't call it an algorithm, but you call it a program or a, a mind or whatever, an ability, computer, computerized ability to play Go that could that beat the top players in the world. Wow. And that was like a pivotal moment because it, because Go is so much more complicated than chess. And, uh, is it like Mahjong? Um, I don't know. I don't know what it's like. I don't know anything about it. Um, but of course, we uh, IBM had a computer that beat Gary Kasparov, uh, Deep Blue, in chess. So this was like the next level yeah. of, of computing power to be the, be the human, be the world champion at Go. And so. Uh, 
a lot of people were both excited and scared mm -hmm. at the same time that machines were now performing at that level. Yeah. They were able to, to be the world champion a couple world champions ago. Here's the other cool thing about that. These champions were able to enhance their game once they were beat by the computer because they oh, saw a way of playing front that the computer played that they had never seen before. And they were they were the world champions. So, you know, nobody could beat them in the world. They were the best. And then when the computer beat them, they saw new ways of playing and they enhanced their game. That is cool. And so it's a win-win for everybody. So to me, that's like, hey, we can learn from machines. Yeah. It's a two-way street here. It doesn't have to be us being dominated. We can learn. And we can we can enhance our game as well. Yeah. That's exciting to me. That's beautiful. Yeah. yeah. Those were some of the big big takeaways I had from this book. Also interesting, Cade Metz. I, I worked with Cade Metz, who's the author of this book, at oh, yeah? uh, Camp Cheerio when I graduated from college. Wow. Yeah, and I thought I recognized his name, and I, I looked in the I saw This is wait, how long ago? Like 30 years ago? 1991. Okay. Yeah, the summer after I graduated from college. And uh, that was my first job out of college, working that at Camp Cheerio in High Point, North Carolina. And, uh I just remembered his name because, you know, it's a unique name, mm -hmm. Kate Metz. And um, so I, I messaged him on LinkedIn and said, hey, was this you, Camp Sherry? He's like, yeah, that was me. Very cool. Awesome book, man. <laughs> Love the book. Love the book. So uh, totally recommend it if anybody's interested in, in that area of computer science. The other cool thing I liked about Jeff Hitton, I'll mention real quick, is that he is not a computer science scientist. He's not a mathematician. He's not a STEM person. And here he is making great inroads in the field of machine learning and artificial intelligence. So that a lot of people are put off by the complex math behind the field. Just know that Jeff Hinton was not a mathematician. He's not a computer scientist. He comes from psychology. And My people. I, I think he was in <laughs> physics for a while, too. But, yeah. So uh, I'm sure he's highly competent in the mm -hmm. mathematics and all that involved. But I, I, I think... Don't let that, if you're interested in the field, don't let that stop you from getting involved in it. I'm not letting it stop me. So <laughs> I, I just took heart for that. Like, you know, he's not, he's not one of these math nerds. And, yeah. You know, you well, don't, you don't like have to you do would that. you need people like who can do adult learning like me, or you need psychologists because you need to understand how humans learn to understand how computers learn, I would think. Yeah. Yeah, so it's it's fascinating uh, to think how how do we learn and how do you break that down? How do you how do you turn that? How do you look at your own self? How do you look at your own brain and then then try to tell a computer how to do it? Mm -hmm. uh, it's just fascinating. It was a fascinating field, it was a fascinating time. I'm really excited about the learning more about this and uh, diving into it. I, I will leave. I, on one final note: I'm starting to read now another book called The Hundred Page Machine Learning Book. You, this book is for software engineers and learning mm -hmm. machine learning. And so when you think about trying to understand, well, where are we really with artificial intelligence and machine learning? Like, can we talk to computers and have them understand? And do they have, you know, are they, you know, do, do we have a general, do we have a capability to create an artificial general intelligence yet? And I think the answer, answer to that is no. And the preface of this book says, let's start by telling the truth. Machines don't learn. <laughs> what a typical learning machine does is finding a mathematical formula, which, when applied to a collection of inputs called training data, produces the desired outputs. The mathematical formula also generates the correct outputs from most other inputs. 
on the collection that those inputs come from the same or a similar statistical distribution as the one the training data was drawn from. So we're, we're still programming, mm -hmm. right? It's just, we're just using data to program with. Yeah. Now. It's just a, you know. A different and, way. And because of that, you get more powerful results. But uh, in terms of, are we at a place where machines can, you know, I, I don't know, where they can understand what you're saying to it and, and respond at a, at a human level, I, I don't think we're anywhere near that yet. Yeah. I still think we're decades away from that. So, anyway, thanks for listening. We'll see you soon. Someday. <laughs> <laughs> Bye.